Well, now is that time in our Sunday morning gathering when we open up God's Word. So open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. Um, we have another great portion of Scripture to look at today, as always. And as Rob said, the Word of God endures forever. And that's what we're going to be seeing today. As we go through uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to finish this chapter this morning. And, you know, we're in, we're in one of those parts of the Bible that talks about the nature of the Bible. And the Bible, as we'll see in the text today, is God's living and abiding word, and it is the good news that we preach. And so today what I get to do is I get to uh, preach from the word of God on the word of God. And that's always a fun thing. So um, this is what we know about God's word. We know that uh, it endures forever when everything uh, is gone. You know, when I'm dead and gone, when you're dead and gone, lest Jesus comes back, the word will remain. It, it will never die. It'll continue. Jesus said he holds his word even higher than his name. And so when the word of God is preached, what it does is it goes out. And when it goes out, it does what it's intended to do. And what the word is intended to do is, first off, it is intended to save your soul. And then once your soul is saved, it is intended to transform your life to look more and more like Jesus. And so likely, the reason why you're here this morning with us is because somewhere along the journey of life, you heard the word of God, and you receive the word of God into your heart, as Peter will even say later in this book, that the word implanted in your heart and it has produced faith in you. And so now you're a person of faith. You live, as we've talked about, as a dual citizen of both heaven and earth. You live, as Peter calls these people that he's writing to, you are an elect exile. And as an elect exile, what you do is you learn from the word of God what it looks like to conduct yourself during the time of your exile. It's from this book um, where however many days God allots for us to live here on this earth until we go into the promise of eternity with God, it's from this book that we learn how to live. And so that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see it in 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 22 to 25, and let's see what God wants to say to us. So let's read the whole section first. First Peter chapter 1, starting now at verse 22, says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that uh, there is uh, an eternal nature to your word and that it will endure forever. But there is um, something else here in us, Lord, that is enduring and eternal in nature, and that's our souls, Lord. And each person who is gathered here this morning, whether they know it or not, they have a soul. And we thank you, Jesus, that you did everything to save our souls, that you died on a cross and you rose from the dead, that that work accomplished our salvation. 
Thank you that your word declares that. And thank you that even from your word, as we sang, we know you by a thousand names. So God, would you even teach us today a little bit more about who you are? Would you teach our souls by your word what it means to live for you, Jesus, in this world? We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So let's take a look now, starting at verse 20, uh, 22. It starts off where Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, if you were with us last week, then you will recall how we talked uh, about how God gives us grace for holiness, that we have been called to be holy as God is holy. And this all started out in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, where we have seen that God the Father knew that he would set you apart by the Holy Spirit in order that he would cleanse you by the blood of Jesus, so that by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, you would walk in obedience to Jesus Christ. And last week, we heard a gospel message through and through. It was just like straight gospel. And if you missed it, I have to tell you, you got to go back and you got to listen to last week's message because um, in the section that we're looking at today and the sections that we'll be looking at in the coming weeks, if we don't have the mindset, if we don't have a foundation of gospel thinking, then what we're going to be talking about isn't really going to make a lot of sense. Because you see, we can't, we can't live what the Bible teaches apart from God's love and grace. You know, today we're going to be hearing about loving one another being in relationship with each other and how we are to uh, love as Christ has loved us. And we learned a lot about that through the book of 1 John, when, which we went through for a little while. And, but what we'll see is that you're going to face a lot of difficulty in trying to love other people if you haven't first received the love from God. We talk about this sort of on the, uh, the vertical and the horizontal plane. You have to first receive God's love vertically. His love has to come down from above if you have any intention of living out that love in a real and authentic way to others. And so we see this, and, and it's important that we have that mindset, that the gospel is on our mind telling us that we first receive from Jesus, and then when we've received from him, we have our souls purified for obedience to the truth. Now, here's what Peter sees, and I, this is what I hope you see if you have believed upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He says that the purification of your souls, see how it says purified in the past tense? The thing is, is that Peter sees this as a done deal. You could essentially say it like this. You could Maybe even your translation says it more in this manner, that since your soul has already been purified, since your soul has already been purified, and when did that happen? Well, that happened when you believed upon the person and the work of Jesus. That happened by faith when you received the grace of God and it caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and you've received the grace of God and now you live in the grace of God. And Peter is writing all this truth throughout chapter one to believers to say, you have already undergone this spiritual transformation in your life. This has been done to you through Christ. Now, you can live it out. 
Peter is saying to people who are in Christ. He's saying it to these uh, original elect exiles, and he says it to us here today. He says, if you are in Christ, be what you are. Be what you are in Christ. This is what 1 Peter chapter 1 has told us of who we are in Christ. We have been told that you are chosen by God. You are set apart by God for holiness. You are born again to a living hope through the resurrection. You are an inheritor of heaven, and your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You, right now, are being guarded by faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed. Remember, church, Jesus can come back at any moment and reveal that he has been keeping you for that moment. You have genuine faith, don't you? And you know that your faith is genuine. Why? Because First Peter says it's been tested. It's been tested like gold that is refined by fire, that the impurities have risen to the top and been scraped off. We know what it's like to go through a trial and to see that our faith has been tested. And why? For the purpose that we would be obedient children of God. And that is what you are, right? You are an obedient child of God. Even when you're not behaving. Because <laughs> that's how God sees you in his love. You are saved, redeemed, holy, spirit-filled. You are a believer in God. So be what you are. Be what you are. That's what Peter is telling us. If you have put faith in Jesus, these things I've just said, this is who you are in Jesus, so live out what you are. Now, one of the ways that we can know that this has happened to you, one of the ways you can know that this transformation of your soul has taken place and that the word of God is living and abiding and active in you, constantly changing and transforming you, you will know that this has happened to you if you are obedient to the truth. See, the evidence that your soul has indeed been purified is whether or not you are obedient to the truth. Now, I'm gonna make three very simple statements and every single one of them are true and they're not contradictory. You ready to hear three simple statements? We are not saved by our obedience. Here's the second one. But we are saved so that we can obey. Third, and we obey to show that we are saved. Those three truths can stand together. We are not saved by our obedience, but we are saved so that we can obey, and we obey to show that we are saved. Amen. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And if you just read that at face value, it kind of sounds like your soul gets purified if you obey. But see, what Peter is doing is what James is doing. You know how James says that we are saved by faith apart from works? But then he says, but faith without works is dead. This is Peter's way of saying that. Paul's way of saying that in his letters, uh, for instance, in Romans, he uses this phrase, obedience of faith. Let me just use the book of Romans for an example, just because the women are studying Romans on Wednesdays, and shameless plug to go to the 
Romans study if you're uh, a lady here. And, but I love that Paul uses this really cool phrase at both the beginning and the end of the book of Romans. In Romans 1.5, he uses that phrase, obedience of faith. And then again, in Romans 16.26, he uses the same phrase, obedience of faith. So this idea of obedience of faith, what it does is it serves like bookends on the book of Romans. And you can go check out those verses later. Again, Romans 1.5 and Romans 16.26 Uh, As you're going through the Roman study, you'll see this. But obedience of faith, what is that? Well, this is Paul's way of expressing this very true and real idea that, that genuine faith in Jesus will produce obedience to Jesus. Real and genuine faith to Jesus will produce obedience to Jesus. Therefore, if you are obedient to Jesus, then it shows that you have faith. Every apostle in the New Testament has some way that they express that truth in their writings. Peter does this, Paul does it, John, James, they all show us in some way that the evidence of faith in the truth of God is obedience to the truth of God. Again, you will be what you are. Your practice will match your position, but you have to start with God. You have to first receive from him if you have any intention of living for him. So don't cross the wires of what we're saying here, but we have to first receive his love. Now, here's the ultimate demonstration that the love of God has been shown in your life and that you do have faith in Jesus. Do you want to know the, the ultimate manifestation, the, the, the best revelation that you are loved by God is how do you love? If you truly love God, then it will be shown in how you love people. Do you remember this zinger of a verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 through 20? Remember this one? If anyone says... I love God and hates his brother. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And with that in mind, we have to look at the rest of verse 22. So back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So our obedience to the truth, again, is most profoundly demonstrated in how we're loving each other. That's how you're going to see it. Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And, And Peter was there. In John 13, Peter was there when Jesus spoke those words. You know, he was there probably elbowing John next to him, you know, trying to get the supreme position next to Jesus. They were always kind of bickering in that way. And Jesus was saying, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And, and when Peter was there, if you actually go to John 13 and, and see the events that surround that moment, you have before John 13, 35, this is what you see is that Jesus comes and he wants to wash his disciples' feet. You remember Peter's response to that. 
Oh, no, Lord, don't wash my feet. I'm going to wash your feet. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And then he says, John 13, 35. And then after John 13, 35, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, I'm going to go away. He's told them already that he's going to be crucified, that he'll be risen. He'd already predicted this multiple times. They're not quite picking it up yet. But he says that he's going away, and where he's going, they cannot come. And Peter's kind of bummed out about that. Like, Jesus, why can't I come with you? And and Jesus says to Peter, where I'm going, you cannot come now, but you will be able to come with me afterward. And Peter responds by saying, no, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Let me go with you. And Jesus says, you're going to lay down your life for me? Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. What do we see about those two instances with Peter, the man who wrote this letter? We see two things. We see in the events prior and the events after John 13, 35, that by your love for one another, you will know that you're my disciples. This is pretty profound, is that Peter didn't have a gospel mindset. He was first thinking about what he could do for God before he thought about what God would do for him. He was first thinking about what he wanted to do for Jesus, how he wanted to serve Jesus. I'll wash your feet, Jesus. I'll go with you. I'll die for you. And Jesus said, no, Peter, I have to wash your feet before you can wash mine or wash others. Jesus said, Peter, I have to lay down my life before you can lay down your life for me or for others. Why did Jesus say that? Because it's the gospel. Because we love because he first loved us. And because God loved us first, we can now love others with the kind of love that we have received from Jesus, a love that can only come from God. You're not going to know what it really looks like to wash people's feet unless Jesus has washed your feet first. You're not going to really know what it looks like to lay down your life for Jesus unless you first receive the greatest love known to man that a friend would lay down his life for a friend. And that is what Jesus has done. And guess what? He calls you his friend. So unless you first receive from Jesus, we have no business even thinking about how we can serve other people. And so this all happened in John 13, and it happened when? It happened before Peter was born again. He hadn't been born again yet. He had to first deny Jesus three times. He had to then see Jesus as the risen Christ and truly taste of the grace of God to know that, man, I rejected this man. I said, I don't even know this guy. Watching him as he was led to the slaughter. What happened to, I will lay down my life for you. I will go where you go. But now Peter is writing this letter, having received the love that comes from God, having been born again, and now he can love Jesus in the way that Jesus has loved him, and he can tell us about it. He can tell us about it because he has received God's love. Now we can go and give God's love if we too have been born again. Amen? Cool. Now, verse 22 to 23 says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth 
for a sincere brotherly love, loving one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Now, Peter gives three qualities of love, love that we can have for one another as the church. Did you see them? Three things. Our love is to be sincere, our love is to be earnest, and our love is to come from a pure heart. Sincere, earnest, and from a pure heart. Now, Peter, or should I say the Holy Spirit, carefully chose those words to describe the kind of love that we are to have for one another as believers in Jesus Christ. And and let's look at each one. First, we're to have sincere love. And perhaps you recall when Rob was teaching from the Gospel of Mark, he he shared about the Latin root of that word sincere. It, it means without wax. So sin means without, seer means wax, without wax. And where this word originated from, and this is, this is super cool, is that it originated from when merchants would buy and sell expensive pottery, okay? And, and the people in the market, what they would try to do is they would try to sell pottery that had cracks in them, and they would fill the cracks with wax and then paint over them and and to make them look as though they were solid pieces and to try to sell them at, you know, a premium price. But in reality, these, um, there were these fake pots that were in the mix that, that were, um, that had wax in them. They weren't sincere. And so what a good merchant would do is they would go and take these pots uh, they take a pot and they go and they put it up against some heat, maybe put it up against the sun. And, and what would happen is against the heat, the, the, the wax, it would melt and it would reveal that there were cracks in the pot and so that it would be shown to be fake. And so when Peter is saying, let our love be sincere, he's saying, let your love be without wax. What does that mean? How does that apply to our love? Well, it means that... You know, our love for one another is best tested in the heat. We can all love when things are going easy. Jesus was like, yeah, like you love those who love you. Great. So does everyone else. (laughs) But when we go through the fiery trial, when we go through the testing of our faith, when our love is being tested, how does your love hold up in the heat? Is your love real or in the heat does it show that it has wax? You know, it might look real in certain conditions, but when tested, is your love real? So that's the Latin root for the word sincere. The the Greek root for that word is where we get the word hypocrite. It has the same thing. Either would preach, right? Because what a hypocrite does, it was an actor on a stage who would wear a mask, and the mask would cover their true identity, and they play multiple roles for one scene or for another. And the same is true. You know, you might love in church, but what happens when you go into the workplace? Do you take off the mask? You know, you love around people, but what about those closest to you? You know, we, we, we have to have our love tested to show that it's genuine. And Peter is saying to us, church, Don't let your love be fake. Let it be genuine. So do you have sincere brotherly love? And this can only be tested 
uh, through relationships. <laughs> Listen, you know, as a church, as a people of God, we will make mistakes. We will sin against one another. We will say and do and think things about one another that will cause things to get heated up. There is no church where brotherly love exists without the testing of relationships to see if it's actually real. So when you get in a situation perhaps, and maybe you've been in one where with a brother or sister in Christ where the, the, you know, the temperature goes up and the heat gets going, that's when we really find out if we have genuine love for one another. We don't want fake love around here. We want brotherly love to be going on in this place, but that happens through conflict sometimes. Guys, how much of the New Testament is written dealing with personal conflicts? Oh my goodness, a lot of it. And so our love is shown sincere when our love is tested by the heat of relationships. The next word that Peter uses to describe this love that's to exist in the family of God is that we are to have earnest love. Or maybe your translation says fervent love. And this word, I didn't know what it really means, what it really alludes to is a love that is stretched out to the limits. A love that just reaches with straining and stretching to the most extreme, like taking a, a rubber band and stretching it until it's like gonna break, right? And as I think about earnest love, I think about my Lord Jesus, who stretched out his arms on a cross to demonstrate how much he loves me. You know, with those nails in his hands, that's really what happened, that the muscles were being stretched, the ligaments were being pulled because he was demonstrating his love for us. We have a God who reaches to the limits for us. We have a God who is earnest in his love toward us. So if that's how God has loved us, that's how we are to love one another. We learn this kind of love from our Savior who went to no ends to demonstrate his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this means that we, as God's people, what does this mean? Is that if you've received that kind of love from Jesus, it means that we can love the unlovable. It means that we can love when we have been offended. It means that we can love when we've been hurt. Because this love that Jesus demonstrates and is to be shown among God's people is a love without expectation of return. This love is not a transactional love. It is a love that is outstretched, limitless, unconditional, and sacrificial. And that is the way God has loved us, and that is the way we're to love one another. And, and Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 through 10 he says this to the th church of Thessalonica. I think it actually really applies, I believe, to this church. It says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need that anyone would write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Paul's like, good job, you guys. You are crushing it in the love departments. Really good. You're just showing love. It is abounding. Yet look what he says next at the end of verse 10. He says, but we urge you, brothers, 
do this more and more. I, I believe this verse applies to us in a very similar way because as I look out at this church, I, I think we're a pretty loving church. Got the best welcome team I've ever seen. We are a loving church. I've seen it. I've seen the affection that we have for one another. I've seen the genuineness of love among the men in the Bible studies and the, and the women in the, those studies and the youth and the leadership and just all around. There's a true and genuine love. Well, can I just say, church, let's do it more and more. Let's excel in love. Let's love earnestly. Let's stretch out. If, if you feel like you've loved in a way that has stretched you, stretch out further. Stretch out further. And, and this is why we value community. This is why we value being known by one another because this brotherly love, it can only exist and be tested. It, it can only thrive in community in the church, in the family of God, where we can know Jesus and be known by Jesus, but God wants us to be known by one another. God doesn't just want your relationship to be here, you and him, you and him, you and him. That's good. It has to start there. But he wants it to flow out toward others, where you are known and being known by one another. Because it is in that place, it's in that community where our love gets tested to see the genuineness of it. Now, I know what happens in community. If you've been in church long enough, you know that you may get hurt. People will say, do, think things about you that will cause pain. And what happens when we get hurt? We curl in, don't we? Touch a stove, pull back, right? When we get hurt, we pull in. And, and when we get hurt, especially in the church, we pull in, we curl in, we put up barriers, but Jesus taught us a different way. We are to forgive as Christ forgives. And if someone hurts you and they ask for forgiveness, you forgive them. And Jesus said that you can forgive those who don't even ask for forgiveness. And this is what I think it means to be earnest in our love for one another. And, and maybe you have been hurt, and maybe it's even already happened in this young church. I pray in the love of Jesus that you would be able to stretch your love back out. You know, it's like Jesus as he um, healed the man with the withered hand. He said, stretch out your hand. And, and I believe that God would even maybe speak to something that has been withered and pulled in in your life because of some hurt and some pain. And, and maybe nobody even knows it, but you know it. You know where you've been hurt. You know where you've pulled in. And Jesus would say, stretch it out. Be earnest in love. And then lastly, we're to do this from a pure heart. A pure heart where there's no ulterior motives, where our love can be free from selfish ambition, where our love is free from any motivation of taking advantage. I want to love from a pure heart. Where love from a pure heart comes from a humble heart, where you've asked the Lord to examine your heart to see if there be any wicked way in you and ask the Lord to love in this manner. Now, if you want to love in this kind of way, if you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit today to say, God, I want to love like this, and maybe you have, I say do it more. Or maybe you haven't, I say do it more. Because if you want to love in this manner, say this to God. Say, God, I want to first receive your love from me.
going to have a really hard time loving if you don't first receive from God. And then say, God, I want to love you in this way. So receive God's love and say, God, I want to love you in this way. And then say, Lord, I want to love the world in this way. I want to love my church this way. My spouse, my kids, my coworkers, my friends, my community, my enemies. Lord, I want to love like you love, Lord. I want to love with a love that is sincere, earnest, and from a pure heart. That is the way that God has loved us. It's not fake, but stretched out to the limits. Now, this exhortation, as we kind of try to bring it to a close here, let's, let's land this plane, amen? Is this, is that this exhortation to love one another, you know the original audience to whom this was being communicated? This was the elect exiles who had been scattered in the dispersion throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These were the people who because of persecution, because the heat had been turned up in their lives, and they're going through the trials and the testing of their faith, they needed to be exhorted by the apostle Peter to love with real love. To love with real love, because you know what? Heat reveals the sincerity of our love. And have we not seen this take place in our world? Where, where things have been heating up, and continue to heat up. We've been going through some hard times, some trials and some testings in a large scale, global kind of way. But, and I think what it's done is, as I think it's shown the wax in the world. But let it not be so in the church. As the heat turns up, let it not be so. Let it be revealed that when the heat turns up that the church is the place where the world is gonna look and they're gonna say, there, there is real love. I will go there. We have to remember that Christianity, that the gospel was forged in this new and radical kind of relationship in Jesus Christ, where, where what was constantly divided was now united, where Greeks and Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, men, women were now one in the Lord. And that the world would know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another so that in the church we can set aside any earthly difference because we are commonly united in an eternal purpose that is found only in Jesus Christ. There is a unity that demonstrates that this love is real, where we don't cut our love because of differences, but through the differences, we show our love is sincere. But how does that happen? Apart from verse 23, this happens since you have been born again. You can't do this unless you've been born again. You can't love in this manner unless you've received the love of Jesus that comes by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead by putting faith in Jesus and receiving his shed blood that will make you an obedient child. How did that all happen? That happened by the word of God. By the word of God. The word of God speaks for itself. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable to the living and abiding word of God. Listen, guys, everything around us is gonna 
fade away. Everything around us is going to die. All of you are. <laughs> All of us will. And the newest garment that you got, that'll fade. <laughs> the, the, the newest jewelry, that'll perish. The car, that'll tank and be replaced by some other thing, right? It's like everything, everything in our world. But not just like the things around us, like <coughs> grass and flowers and, and all those things. Every single one of those flowers that's going to be cut for the women's Bible study, you're going to take home. It's going to be so, look at my little, little beautiful flower bouquet. You're going to take it, you're going to put it on your counter. It's going to die. <laughs> it's going to die. You know, in our family, we joke, we can't keep succulents alive in our family. <laughs> it's just like, just death. Anything we plant dies. But the word of God and the implanted seed of God's word it is imperishable. It will never die. It endures forever. Nations will rise and fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Everything that we see, everything that we know will fade. And that is why you have to examine the soil of your heart today and say, what, what kind of soil do I have? Is it hard, is it rocky, is it crowded, or is it good? Because I want to have ears to hear what is being said so that I can have this hope within me from the imperishable seed of the word. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let me close with this. The living and abiding word. This is what it's called in different ways, in different manners, and I just, I love this. It's called the word of his grace, the word of the gospel, the word of promise, the word of the cross, the word of reconciliation, the word of life, the word of truth, the word of his power, the word of righteousness, the word of Christ, the word of the Lord, the word of God. And if you have received the implanted word in the soil of your heart, it will save your soul, and you will be born again, and you will love as Jesus has loved you. And this is the good news that was preached to you. That's chapter one, amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we've received it into our hearts today. God, we thank you that you are able to cultivate the soil of our hearts we ask that by your spirit right now, you would be doing that. You would be cultivating our hearts. Thank you that the promise of the new covenant is that you'll take out a heart of stone and you'll replace it with a heart of flesh, a soft heart that can receive the word in this way. So every one of us here, myself um, included, we have all heard your word. Lord, we believe it. And now we know what you've told us to do. We've been told to go and live it that we would have obedience to faith in Jesus' name. Amen.